we prayed for our nation, and thanks, thanks Lincoln, for leading that prayer uh, as we believe God and look to him to reign in our land. And we believe that he wants to reign in our lives. And uh, this morning, um, I just wanted to take a moment and uh, begin with prayer uh, for our own lives. And I know that uh, it's true. I, I know you all, most of you. And uh, we do have our own problems and issues we're facing in our lives. So let's pause for a moment. And, and I, I want to I suggest this morning that if you feel like you got kind of that, that issue that is just coming to your mind right now, that thing, if you think about it, that, that's this one problem, um, why don't you stand up as we pray? And, I'm not, and, and it's, you don't need to be self-conscious because, as, as I said, we all have them. But if there's that one thing that you just would like to give over to God this morning, just as we pray, why don't you stand up and sort of as a, as a statement of faith, like, Lord, I'm giving this to you, okay? That's all that you're doing by standing up. It's, it's just a way of physically saying, I'm giving this to you. So uh, let's bow our heads together, and if you want to stand, feel free. If you want to stay sitting, no judgment, feel free. Uh, but if you'd like to stand uh, as, a, as a signal of, of your faith in God for that particular thing, just do that now. Lord, when you walked this earth and you encountered people, people with real serious stuff going on in their lives, uh, we got no sense that you judged them. We got no sense that... Uh, you were embarrassed by their problems. What we saw you do was embrace the lepers and put uh, mud on the blind man's eyes. And uh, you spoke to those who were the outcasts and the outsiders. Uh, you even called a guy out of a tree who was, who was a, an outsider in his town. And I think of the ways you want to speak into our lives the same way today. You want to break into our existence and meet us where, we, where we're at and uh, Father, we know you won't turn us aside. We, and it, it's not about us. We don't have to have a lot of belief. In fact, we just might have a little bit of belief, but we believe that you're good and that you love stepping into our mess and you love bringing order and healing and hope and strength. And so we bring before you today, we lift up that issue, that problem that's on our minds that we brought with us today that maybe we bring with us every day or maybe the Holy Spirit just gave, to us, gave it to us this morning. We bring that before you. And we ask you, Lord, for your help. We ask you, Lord, for your touch. Would you meet us in that place? Lord, uh, we give it to you. And we, we just admit our helplessness today to do anything about it. We lay it at your feet. And we ask you to reign over that part of our lives or our friend lives or whatever it might be. Whatever it might be, Lord, we give it to you. And now, Lord, would you uh, open up our eyes to your truth and your word as we uh, read your word. Speak to us this morning that we might hear. We might experience your life. In Christ's name we pray all these things. Amen. Why don't you have a seat? I'm audacious enough to believe that uh, God has met some of you in that place right this morning. And, and uh, there's been movement on that thing. Maybe it's, done, maybe, it, maybe it's dealt with. Or maybe you'll just have the hope and strength to carry on in the midst of that issue. Uh, God is good. Um, we're going to read the scripture this morning, and uh, it's found in John seven thirty-seven to 39. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, 
Rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. We're, uh, we're concluding our brief series, Pathways to Joy, and today's message is, is real basic, so I want to begin with the two most foundational spiritual truths I know. Number one, there is a God. Number two, it's not you. <laughs> um, and it's real simple, but uh, there's kind of significant implications. It means your life is not your project. It's, it's God's project. In fact, your life was God's idea. And this is just really clear from Ephesians 2.10 where it says, for, for we are God's handiwork, we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works for which they have been prepared in advance for us to do. God has prepared those things. You are not your own handiwork. Only God knows what you were fully intended to, to look like. But every once in a while, you do a good thing and you do a good work and you get a glimpse, just a little picture of what God intended you to look like and be. Um, you say something nice that inspires somebody, maybe at work in a meeting. Um, you help a homeless person that nobody else notices. You're patient with a three-year-old. Uh, you, you get lost in the beauty of an idea. Uh, you get lost in the beauty of a song. You stand up to a bully. You, you, uh, you make a sacrificial gift. You forgive a hurt. You say something that you would normally never say, and it turns out it's just the right thing to say. Or you keep from saying something that you normally never would keep from saying, and it turns out just the right thing not to say. And when you do those things, you're getting a, a glimpse of who God made you to be, uh, what God was up to, because what God wants for you to do is reach your full potential. For, for you to become the best version of you, you might call this U2.0. <laughs> um, and it won't look like anybody else, and it'll work, and it won't crash. And actually, God is, is more concerned about you reaching your full potential than you are concerned about reaching your full, full potential. And he's guiding this process all the time in your life. And, and he has all these great and, and diverse tools at his disposal, and he's not in a hurry about it. It's kind of frustrating, actually. He's very patient with us, and he, he will never give up. And Jesus made these pretty amazing promises about his ability to transform a human life into this new kind of life. And in our passage in John 7, there was a feast going on in Jerusalem. And there are three great feasts that happened in Israel every year. One of them was called the Feast of Tabernacles. It's kind of like our, our Thanksgiving. And they would give thanks to God for his goodness and for his provision. And a highlight of the feast uh, every year was at the end, the 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 priest would go to the pool of Siloam and he would draw water from, from there, which would, that water would come into Jerusalem through an underground aqueduct called Hezekiah's Tunnel, built by him, carved right out of the rock. And some of you have been there and seen this firsthand. But the priest would, would draw water out of this pool and, and in a, a golden pitcher, and then he'd lead a procession back to the temple. And it was quite a parade, and, and we're told there was a lot of joy in that procession, so much so, shouting and praising that the rabbis used to say, the one who does not know the joy of tabernacles does not know joy. So this entourage would arrive at the temple and the priest would pour water out on the dry ground, which was not nothing because 
These were a desert people. They didn't waste water, and yet the priest does this. But it served as a reminder that they had a God who, who brought water up out of the rock. And it also uh, reminded them of, of this promise of this Messiah who was to come. So it was on that day, maybe at that very moment, in, in that crowd, as they gathered together, we're told, on the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Now we think of this sometimes but be, about being spiritually thirsty. And I want to say right off the bat, being thirsty is not something reserved for spiritual giants with pious desires. To be thirsty means you're not satisfied. It means that you have unfulfilled longings, that, that you're not happy about everything. So, so Jesus is saying, all you dissatisfied people, all you discontents, all you, all you whiners. <laughs> Any whiners here among us today? Um, okay, you're, you're one of the ones. But Jesus is saying, come to me. Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Now see what he's pro- promising here. He says, let anyone who is thirsty come to me. And, and then he doesn't just say, and you'll have enough to drink. He doesn't just say, then you'll be satisfied. He says, whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within him, them by this he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive you come to me all you thirsty people he says and i like what he says in the old king james version he says and out of your belly will flow rivers of living water so not only will you be satisfied but you will you'll be a source of satisfaction to other people there will be people downstream who will be blessed because of you now where's your your belly it's that, that deep place inside of you. It's, it's what we might call your core. I mean, Jesus talked about this. Jesus is talking about that deepest place in us, that place that feels hollow or empty late at night, that place where we get, get butterflies. Uh, the word used here is coralia, from which we get the word colitis. You know what that is? It's, it's a disorder that people get often related to stress and tension, kind of a digestive thing. And, but Jesus is saying, out of your belly will flow energy and hope and joy and strength. And here's the thing. You won't have to manufacture it. You won't have to, you won't have to fake it. You won't have to hype it. Come to me, he says. Isn't that a great picture of the Christian life? Living water flowing. And Jesus describes this over and over again. Later in the same chapter in John 10, he uses a different metaphor, but the same reality. He talks about his people as sheep and his desire for them to have life. And he says that the, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. And that's just kind of our world. That's our reality that we live in, really. But, but he says, I have come that my people would have life, which is a great word for salvation and, and, and living. And, but not just life. Life in abundance, spilling over the top and out through the cracks. Life, life to the full, he says. And then all throughout the New Testament, if you read it, there are these promises of life of followers of Jesus experiencing transformation of rivers of living water. It's the only thing that can explain the disciples who turn from the scared bunch of men into these courageous warriors for God. That's the only thing that can explain it is the Spirit of God changing them and making those people. So God's plan for you is to become the best version of of you. You 2.0. And right now there are two versions of you. John, John Ortberg talks about this, that that there's the you God made you to be, and then there's the you as you currently exist. 
The question, how many of you would say there is a gap between the you God made you to be and the gap as you currently exist? Most of us, right, experience that gap. And, and the problem is we think we have to, to close the gap. We, we try to do all kinds of things to, to shrink the gap. What are some of our, our gap-closing efforts? Uh, we read another book. We, uh, we listen to another talk. We, we try another church. We serve harder. We work harder. Uh, we try being nicer to people. Um, or, or you hear about somebody who wakes up every morning at 4 in the morning to pray, and you think, well, I don't pray very much, and, I, and so you feel guilty about that, and, and so you decide, well, I'm going to get up at 4 in the morning to pray, even though you are not a morning person, and even though at 4 in the morning you are dazed and confused and grumpy and groggy, and the reality is no one likes you at 4 in the morning. Even Jesus doesn't like being around you at 4 in the morning. But, but sometimes we think if it is hard and it is miserable and if it's exhausting, then that must be God's will for my life. It must be spiritual, you know. It, it, it must be good for me. And so maybe at the, the beginning of the year, uh, we try something uh, for a few days or for a week or for a month, and it's not forever. Eventually, you kind of quit, and then you feel guilty because you stopped. And, and then when the guilt gets high enough, you start doing something else, and you're kind of in this, this vicious spiritual circle, cycle. You get tired, and you don't just get physically tired. You get kind of soul-tired. And for some people at that point, they just decide, I'm going to go through the motions. You know, I'm just going to kind of pretend or fake, fake it. And then there are those who, who are maybe a little more honest. They just say, I'm, I'm walking away from this. This just does not work. I know, I know those people. So here's the question this morning. What if Jesus was right? I mean, what if he really meant what he said about a river running through it? That there are rivers of living water available and, and they could flow out of your belly. Yours. I mean, what if such a life is, is possible for you and, and you don't get there by, by trying harder or by trying to rev yourself up to, to greater levels of commitment? What if that was possible? If so, how do we get there? Let me read a few more verses to talk about who has at work in our lives. The Apostle Paul says, For I am confident of this, that he who began a good work in you, it's he who will carry it on to completion. Later in the same letter, Paul says, For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Or to the church of Corinth, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is what? Freedom. Freedom. I, I mean... Where the Spirit is, there's, there's rivers of living water. I'm free. It's about freedom. And then, then we who with unveiled faces, that means no masks, no hiding, all reflect the Lord's glory. We are being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes not from me, not from you, but from the Lord who is the Spirit. Now here's what happens, I think, for a lot of people. Uh, when people first come to God, when they first came to faith, they realize that there is a gap. There's a gap between me and a, a holy, perfect God. And, and here, the, the gap between here I am as I, I currently am and, and this, this God who I've heard about. And, and there's that gap, and the gap is called sin. And I'd, I'd say when we come to faith, we connect to the fact that we can't bridge that gap through our own effort. We kind of get that. It's a pretty important piece of our, our spiritually, spiritual recovery, really recognizing that we have those problems that we have that issue we have that gap issue 
and knowing that we need help. And, and what does God do to help us bridge the gap? Grace. It's grace through Jesus Christ. He bridges the gap. And a, a lot of us have received that gift, and if you haven't, I hope you do. You can do that at any moment, and you can do it today. But here's what happens for, I think, a lot of people, is that you become a, a Christian, but you realize there's still this gap. And, and only now the gap is between the, the me God wants me to be and the me as I, as I really am and, and as I currently exist. And this gap between the life God promises me and the life as I, I currently am living right now. And again, that gap is sin. Question for you, can I bridge that gap through human effort? No, I can't. But the problem I think a lot of people have is, is will I get saved by grace, but I, I guess the rest is kind of up to me. I guess I have to get from here to there by doing, by striving, and kind of pushing. No, just as we get saved by grace, so we are invited to, to live by grace. Sometimes we think that, that sinners are the ones who need grace, but saints don't need it anymore. I, I love how Dallas Willard says this. He says, saints burn way more grace than sinners ever could. Because saints run on it. It's like rocket fuel. It's, it's like food. That's the idea of grace. See, grace is, is not something you need just when you sin. Grace is what we're to live on all the time. And grace is just the abundant generosity of God. And when you become a, a Christian, you experience grace primarily as forgiveness. Clean slate. But once you become a Christian, you experience it now primarily as, as power. Power to do what otherwise you could not do. And the picture Jesus uses for this life of power, this life in the Spirit, is the picture of a river. Of rivers of living water. By this he means the Spirit. Now a river, I think, is used some, something like 150 times in Scripture, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, to kind of signify, to, to kind of point to this life of, of grace and, and, and spiritual life. And there's a good reason for this. Israel was a desert country. Um, they were desert people. Now, we might not get this because we live in, in Vancouver, the lower mainland, uh, where a, a land that drinks water from heaven, where our, our biggest water issues are, you know, lawn watering restrictions in the summer. That's when we really feel like we ha we're in a drought. Can't water my grass. Um, but if you were to visit southern Israel today, it's, it's desert country. It's arid and it's dry. They, they live in drought conditions. And if the rains didn't come, at least back in ancient times, uh, people suffered, people died. Israel didn't have rivers. Of course, there was the Jordan River, but it was on the boundaries of the land of Israel. Within Israel itself, they didn't have rivers. What they had was these things called wadis. And wadis, I, I've walked through some of them, and they're like just basically dry gulches. And there would only be water in them when the rain came. And they would fill up and they would become rivers for a short time. And so, when in the rain, so in a, a river, in the minds of those in Israel, it signified life. It was a gift. It was grace. You know, we don't know much about uh, the Garden of Eden. But we do know this. A river ran through it. Watering it. At the beginning of the Bible, Genesis 2, it starts with a river. A river watering the garden, flowing through this beautiful place of Eden. The Israelites reading that would think, what a good God was, God was to send them water. And, and when you read the Psalms, you can kind of hear this longing for the river. Psalm 46.6 says, 
There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. That's life. Where the, where the river flows, life will flourish. Where the, where the river dries up, life will die. Remember Psalm 42, 1. This is a very familiar passage. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for God. I grew up hearing that, singing that chorus. And uh, you know the image I had when I used to sing that song was kind of like a, a little deer, kind of like Bambi, going through this green, leafy forest and feeling a little bit thirsty, so going down to this little stream, right? That was my image. I don't know what you had was you saying that song, perhaps, but, but that's not it at all. I mean, this, this, this is the desert. If this creature doesn't find water, it's a goner. All the, all the wadis have dried up. This is desperation. And here's the fact that the psalmist is, is talking about. This is our reality because because, folks, you and I were made to run on God, and everything else is, is kind of a mirage. You ever seen a mirage? We don't see it much, but, you know, off in the distance, something that looks like water. You see it on a highway sometimes when it's really hot. But we live in a world with lots of, lots of mirages. Mirages like more money, more success, more applause, more attractiveness, more comfort, more security more amusement. Those are all mirage. We go, we go running after them, and we think that, the, that they'll satisfy us. And what do they leave us with? A mouthful of sand. So I'm, if I'm cut off from the, the Spirit of God, if I'm, I'm cut off from the river, it means a, a life of unsatisfied longings, of spiritual dryness, of emotional blankness, of, of moral failure, of internal death. So as I told you, there's a, a river that uh, the beginning of the Bible begins with, did you know there's one at the end? Revelation 22. It's an amazing description. Let me read it to you. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Let me highlight a few things about the river from this text just real quickly here. Notice where the, the, this water of life comes from. It comes directly from the throne of God, right down into the center of the street, right from the throne of God and Jesus the Lamb, because it is God who makes things come alive. The, the water of life flows directly from him. And there's this image of, of this great tree on every, each side of the, the riverbank and bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. Let me ask you, what kind of truth fruit bears fruit every month. There is no tree like this. I mean, this is not, you can't, got to get bananas and apples all out of your mind here. Um, this, this is, again, the, the generosity of God. This is the abundant grace of God who, who gives far more than we could ever imagine. It, it is, again, a, a picture of human flourishing. And it's not just about a, a, an individual or a, a one, one or two people coming alive. It's about a community that's flourish, flourishing. Why 12 crops of fruit? Well, when any Israelite saw the number 12, they, what would they think of? The 12 tribes of Israel is what they would think of. This is about the people of God. And now the people of God are going to flourish. And then, then this next one is just going to kill you when you get it. And, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Let me ask you today, could the nations use a little bit of healing today? Could Iraq and, and Syria and Ukraine use a little healing today? Um, could Moncton, New Brunswick, 
use a little healing today? Could Ottawa use a little healing today? Could, could our education system and our teachers use a little bit of healing today? You see, you see, it is God's plan for our world to flourish, and he sends his spirit, he sends his, his grace, this, this river to grow this tree, and, and we are the leaves for which are the healing of the nations. You and I are. It's, it's not just about us. It's, it's not just about one little community. It's not just about you. It's, it's for the healing of the nations. Sometimes uh, our worlds get pretty small. We talk about this from time to time, how we think it's all about us. It's all about you. Um, one of the blessings of, of God in our family this year has been moving into a new neighborhood and uh, moving into a new house. Talk to you about this. Um, it's been a, a great experience, and, and we love living here. We, we miss some of our old neighbors, but, but uh, it's been fantastic moving to this new place. And one of the things that we've been getting used to, it's kind of been an adjustment for us, surprisingly, is our last home that we lived in was really cozy and small. I mean, we were kind of on top of each other as a family of four. And our two boys, they shared a bedroom, and they had bunk beds, and their legs were going off the beds. They were so big. And one of the reasons we moved was because we, our boys just didn't fit the space anymore. They, outgrew, they were outgrowing the space. But here's the thing I struggled with as we moved into a bigger house. The sense of kind of feeling guilty because we have this bigger house. It's kind of lavish. It's more than we need. Well, both our boys now have, like, lots of space, but we all have lots of space. We're kind of bouncing around. We, um, and I was, we were really content in the small space, and now we're in this big space, and it feels wasteful. Um, I was feeling all these things, and I was kind of feeling a little bit guilty. It's like, should Christians have a big house? And um, one day as I was wrestling with this, I, I remember kind of walking through somewhere, and it's like the Lord just spoke to me. You know what he said? Very simply, it's not about you. It's not about you. I mean, it is about you. I, I want you to enjoy this really awesome gift, but it's more than about you. We want, I wanted to plant you in this neighborhood. It's about your neighborhood. It's about your community that you're living in. It's about the church. It's about the world. It's, it's about the healing of the nations. It's not just about you. Um, back to the river for a moment here. Jesus says, this is your life. From Genesis to Revelation, from the moment you were born to the last breath that you will ever take, this is your life, and a river runs through it. Here is God. Here is grace. Every breath you take, every thought you think, it's, it's all grace. This is your life. And a river runs through it all the time. It's always flowing. Got to wrap this up in, in just a few moments here. But I was thinking of how do we respond to all of this? And it's important to remember, any thought, anytime you see anything flourishing, it's receiving its nourishment from outside itself. It's true about a tree. I mean, it's true about you. Your job is not to make yourself flourish. Your job is, is not to make yourself grow. The question is, Really, how do I remove those barriers that are keeping life from happening in me? How do I do that? And so if there was one verse this morning for us, just one verse to live in, that would kind of get us in on this Jesus kind of life, it's 1 Thessalonians 5, 19, where it says, don't quench the Spirit. Let's, let's say that again, uh, uh, again together aloud. Will you do that with me? Don't quench the Spirit. You see, the Spirit is already at work. He's bigger, he's stronger, more patient than we are. So Paul just says, don't quench him, don't, don't grieve him. 
And he positively says, keep in step with the Spirit. Sow to the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. So another question is, what are, are the activities that open me up to the life of the Spirit? And, and what are those things I do that shut off the life of the Spirit? I, I need to discern those things so, so that the Spirit can keep running in me all the time. This is what it's about. Can you think of something in your life that, that shuts off the life of the Spirit in you? Think for a moment. Can you think of something in your life where you might be going along and, and, and going true, and suddenly it's like the flow stops? Uh, something happened to me a couple weeks ago. Um, our son got hired by a neighbor to mow their lawn. Good gig. He's, up, he's over there, and he's doing this. But this year, and moving into a new home, we, we didn't have a lawn to mow in our old house, so our boys are learning how to mow lawns. And, and so he's out there mowing this lawn, and, and afterwards, um, we're walking by our neighbor's yard together as a family, and instead of me being able to see what a great thing my, my son is able to do in terms of mowing a lawn, all I could see was the mohawks. You know, those, those long rows that he didn't quite get, just a, a string of... And then I, I saw, um, sort of by the sidewalk, I saw like the, where he had the whippersnipper hadn't quite got it, and there was like these l- big long strands. And, and, and so I said, I said something that, uh, that was really hurtful, actually. I said something like, son, that, that, you did a terrible job. <laughs> I mean, even pastors can have their stupid moments, right? But let me tell you, it was as if I turned the Spirit's tap off right at that moment. The flow was gone in that moment. I, I, I find uh, oftentimes uh, the way we treat other people uh, is, is one of the primary ways in which we stifle the life of the Spirit. You want to stifle the Spirit, hold on to a hurt. Don't forgive. Say an unkind thing. Be overly critical. Um... Those are things that, that stifle the spirit in our lives big time. I, I mean, there's other things. I mean, there's things, times when you just, you're, you, you willfully choose the wrong way, where, where you just know, I'm supposed to be here, and I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to choose this, and you know it's wrong. Um, and that stifles the spirit, quenches the spirit. Uh, I think of, uh, sometimes the spirit, the spirit's very gentle and very gracious, and so it's not like you're doomed if you, if you go the wrong way. Uh, there's grace and there's forgiveness there too, right? There really is. You can turn back and you can, I don't, I, I don't think this has been said before, you can unquench the Spirit, I'm guessing. I think you can. I think that's correct, right? You can unquench the Spirit. Sometimes the Spirit gives little nudges of, of warning to me when I'm about to, to do something or say something. Um, again, as you can see, my mouth got me into trouble with my son. And, and sometimes uh, it'll be in an area of your strength. And so I'm a talker. And God has used my talking in some really good ways, but he can also, conversely, I can, you know, really mess up in that area too. Um, my mantra sometimes seems to be, speak first, think later. I seem to operate by that at times. And uh, sometimes the Lord gives me a little bit of warning, and that, that warning comes in the form of a person. And oftentimes it's my wife. And, and say we're at a... Say we're at a dinner party or a meal, and um, I'm about, I'm, I may be talking, and maybe I'm dominating the conversation, or perhaps uh, I'm, I'm beginning to share something, and uh, she's just a little bit nervous about where I'm going. You know, am I going to say something that's maybe uh, breaking confidence? 
or maybe I'm going to say something that is uh, more like slander or gossip. It's interesting. Have you ever had this happen? She, I get a, a nudge on the knee. It's like a little nudge on the knee. Or it's a squeeze on the knee. If it's, if it's really serious in that moment, I get a squeeze on the knee. Or, or she holds the hand really tightly at that point. You ever had that? Anyone ever have that happen? Anyone ever done that to somebody? It's annoying. Stop it. But what if that little squeeze was actually the Holy Spirit? And what if that was the Holy Spirit giving the squeeze? And it often is, though the Holy Spirit can speak to us through all kinds of means, and I've become convinced he can even speak through my wife. Even, even. Yeah, I'm being squeezed right now. I'm feeling it. <laughs> Don't quench me. <laughs> and, and so we can quench the Spirit, and, but we can also open ourselves up to the life of the Spirit. And I've been thinking, as I've been thinking about what that looks like for me, it looks like responding to his invitations. As we uh, talked about in our series last fall, The Power of Whisper, I believe God is at work giving us invitations all the time. Think about Jesus when he came. I mean, what did he do a lot of? come to me, uh, you know, and you'll have li- waters of li- livers, ri- livers? <laughs> rivers of living water. Um, he said, come to me and I, I'll give you rest. He said, come to me and I'll, I'll make you fishers of men. Jesus was always inviting his followers into the good life, into good things. He, and we just need to go with the flow. We need to respond to the invitations that are put before us. And I've found him, he's inviting me all the time into all kinds of things. Let me give you just some of the ones I've experienced in recent weeks. These were very specific to me. You could watch TV, or why don't you journal? Put aside your work and play with your boys. Take your wife a cup of tea. Invite that person to church. Treat this person to lunch. Send a book to a friend in trouble. Put your cell phone down. And and these invitations at times can seem like real interruptions and and, uh, diversions from my life and my agenda and the way I want to go. But you know what what I found? When I follow his invitations, um, they actually are the best moments of my life on reflection. <laughs> They're the best things that happen to me. Uh, uh, Friday usually is usually my day off, and I don't uh, typically answer the phone. I mean, it, it, I would just suggest to you, don't call me on Fridays, people. Don't do it. If you're dying, you can call me, but otherwise, don't call me. <laughs> um, I feel the Holy Spirit just say... That was a big squeeze. But a couple of months, and so I, I, I'm usually pretty tired and, and, and don't want to be with people on my day off. I like to have some time alone uh, for the most part. But a, a, a couple months ago, I actually really felt this invitation to call some of my relatives, uh, people who I haven't called in a long time. I, a couple aunts came to my, I feel like God put them on my heart. And so I picked up my phone and, and just sat in an armchair and I, I called my my, my two aunts, one after another. And the first one, she's bedridden. She's 88 years old. 
and she can't see. She's just recently, in the last year or so, lost her sight. She, she most days doesn't get out of bed. And I got on the phone with my aunt, and I talked with her, and uh, she was happy as a clam. I mean, she was so happy to hear from me. And I, I, she rarely has heard from me over the years, but as we were talking, she just, you could hear her glowing on the other end of the phone. And then I called my other aunt, who's just had raft of health issues, and, and after I got off the phone with her, I'm, I came off that phone feeling rich and full. It was the most life-giving thing I ever, I, I did on that day off, on that day where I was looking to do only life-giving things. It was the best part of my day, responding to an invitation from the Holy Spirit. What if God is, is really at work in every moment, in every place, and, and really yours and, and my job is, is just to jump into the river? What if it's really that simple to figure out from one moment to the next moment to the, to the next moment? How do I stay in this flow? How do I do things? How do I not do things that cut me off? How do I do those things that open me up? How, how do I keep myself aware and submitted so that, that rivers of living water keep flowing in my belly? Um, you don't have to get it perfect, and you don't have to remember every second. All you have to do is is get a step closer because the Spirit of God, He is real, and, and He's at work, and it's His job. And, and my job is just to get back in the flow because our real hope is not in, in our own spiritual maturity. Our hope is that there is a God, and it's not you, and it's His job. Why don't you bow your heads with me and, and we can pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that there is a river and it's running all around us. Thank you, Lord, that you love us so much that you're, you're more concerned about our lives, more determined that we should fulfill our potential, more eager for the redemptions of our bodies and of our minds and of our gifts and our relationships than we are ourselves. God, we ask that you would make your spirit flow in this place, in our lives, like never before. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.